0: Job, as we said last week, is, I think, for a lot of people, a mysterious book. One of those reasons is it's poetry, which doesn't make a lot of sense to some people some of the time, and that sort of thing. But one of the main things that uh, we always need to be doing there's some things we need to remember when we're studying Old Testament. Number one is this, is the Old Testament scriptures were the means by which Jesus and the apostles preached the gospel. They didn't have the New Testament. And when they went around preaching and teaching, they were pulling it all from the Old Testament. So what we need to understand from that is this, is, this is, the, is the gospel's not a New Testament invention. The gospel is something that is rooted in the very beginning of the Bible and flows all the way through it. So what we need to be asking anytime we, we, we study a book is a question. The question is this, is what does this tell us about the gospel? What does it tell us about God. What does it tell us about ourselves? I know there are a lot of people today, I think, that avoid the Old Testament like the plague. There are people in churches today who believe this. We need, we've got the New Testament. We, we don't need the Old Testament at all. And I challenge people sometimes with this idea. If I took your New Testament away from you, could you tell somebody about Jesus using the Bible? you should be able to and I would imagine if you're really able to that at least on occasion we would probably jump to the book of Job because <laughs> as we said last week what you're going to find is there's this thread of the gospel that runs all the way through it from the very beginning uh, all the way to the end of it and there's all kinds of things for you and I as believers to learn from this book from this man called Job but even more than that about the God that Job Knew and knows So anyway We, in, we introduced the book last week With some, some ideas I do want to say this I said this in Sunday school already So forgive me for repeating myself And that is the Bible is the inerrant word of God Unfortunately my sermons are not inerrant I hope you realize that and very often it's little things like this. I'll walk a- out of here on Sunday morning typically going, you know what, I said that and that's not what I meant to say. Or, or I, you, you, this, this, that, and the other. I'm constantly correcting myself. And fortunately there are people in the church that are very helpful in correcting me too. and they very often let me know when I said 1945 instead of 1947 or you know something like that and I mentioned last week I said that the the book of Job is mentioned twice in the New Testament it's not it's only mentioned one time and that's in the book of James Uh, but but Job is mentioned as being a pillar of the faith in the book of Ezekiel and a couple of times Which, as far as I'm concerned, strikes the idea down that some people have that Job was not really a historical person. This is just a poem. It's like a fairy tale kind of person, you know, a fictitious thing. It's not really based upon a real living being. Uh, but according to Scripture, he's lifted up as a great man of faith. So that tells us that he, in fact, was a real person, a living person. So let's begin this morning, chapter 1, verse 6, and we're going to be looking all the way through 12. Now there was a day when his sons, and some translations say in, when the sons of God, and daughters, no, no, I'm sorry, forgot I said that, I'm confused already. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> okay, there there, we, there I just proved it. My sermons are not the inerrant word of God. <laughs> now, there was a day. This is verse 6. That was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, ''From where have you come?'' Satan answered the Lord and said, ''From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it.'' And the Lord said to Satan, ''Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil?'' Then Satan answered the Lord and said, ''Does Job fear God for no reason?'' Now, what we have here is a picture of what seems to make most sense of being the heavenly assembly. Uh, And by the way, according to the book of Revelation, every true believer that is there in heaven, that he's in heaven assembled. (laughs) I wanna challenge us with some things this morning and one of those is this, is you you know that sometimes the Bible accommodates us because it says a day. (laughs) Let me tell you something, there are no days in heaven. No days in heaven. (laughs) Days happen on the earth because there's a sun and the earth revolves around it, you know, that kind of thing. So we need to understand that basically what's being said here is just at some point in time, not what you and I would consider to be a day. That sort of thing. I just bring it to your attention because it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in the world that we live in and forget that there's something out there that goes way 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 beyond that is not limited by things like time and space, etc., etc., etc. And that God is the Lord of of all of it. The sons of God. Well, you know, in the New Testament, very often, Christians are depicted as being sons of God. He said, this is what's being talked about here? Is is in the Old Testament or we're talking about those sons of God? Well, no, we don't think so. There's also a sense in which the angels are described as being the sons of God. And so our understanding is this is Satan coming into the presence of God the assembly of the heavenly hosts we need to put things a little bit in historical context when did this actually take place in time Well, we don't actually know positively for certain exactly when it took place but there are some things we can say that help us understand when it did take place in time It didn't take place in time before God created the heavens and the earth. It, in fact, didn't take place in time before Adam and Eve were in the garden. Because we know that Job lived generations after Adam and Eve. We've all heard some things about Satan. And we know he goes by different names. Deceiver. Deceiver. Satan, Lucifer and some things, sometimes called the evil one, the prince of the power of darkness, all kinds of different titles applied to this particular being. It seems as though there is only one of them. Because in the original scriptures, it doesn't say that Satan came. It says the Satan. T H E. Not a Satan, but the Satan. Seems as though he is one being. There's only one like him. There are not multiple Satans or devils or evil ones like him. He's unique. He's described in scripture as being many things and one of those is the accuser and that's what he comes here being. The one who accuses, brings allegations in the courtroom in essence of God. Now some things I want us to understand but we need to put this in a New Testament perspective and that is this. Is Charlie Barker does not have to be concerned about Satan appearing in heaven one day and bringing God's attention upon him. How can I say that? Because we know that many things have transpired since the days of Job. And one of those is this, is Jesus is coming to the world and he's bound the strong man. And there's an argument that you can bear up from scripture that Satan has been cast down from heaven and he is here in the world now. That he no longer moves about in the abode of heaven. He would not be welcome in the heaven th- throne room. He's, his heavenly privileges or his heaven privileges have been absolutely totally revoked. Jesus actually accomplished some real things in this world, and one of those is this, he bound the strong man. He cannot stand in heaven and bring accusations against anyone. So something else has happened between us and this whole picture, and that is Jesus has bound the strong man. So we don't have to worry, we don't have to be concerned about, about him appearing in heaven before God and, and, and bringing accusations against us. But a boat is in the world now. So what does, does that mean we don't need to be concerned about Satan at all? We, have, we need to have the idea it just doesn't exist, that he doesn't have any potential of doing me any wrong or any harm. And the answer to that is no, 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 no. Because if that were true, Peter would not say that he's like this roaring lion that roams around the earth looking for someone to devour. He's still here, he's still active, but he's in the world. He's not in the heavenly abode anymore. He's our great enemy. He is a threat to you. And let me tell you, if it were not for certain things, he could eat you for lunch. And sometimes he does that. But let me tell you, if you're in Christ, you need to respect the idea that he is and all that, but at the same time, you have no reason at all to fear him. Verse 7 says, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? He asked that question, not for his own benefit, but for your benefit, my benefit. God already knows where he's been. God already knows what he's been up to. Because God is both omnipresent and omniscient. That means he sees everything, he hears everything. He knows. He knows in greater detail than anybody what he's already been about. So so why in the world would God ask that question? He's not asking it for himself. He's asking it for the audience. He's asking it for your benefit and my benefit. Understand this is like a play unfolding and as we're watching and we're listening, we're the audience. Do you ever think about that? You know, all these omni-words, omnipresent, omnipotence, omniscience. You know, we have secrets from each other. Everybody in this room, Lori's got their stuff. I've got secrets from her. she got secrets from me. I keep trying to get her to tell me what they are, but she won't. But remember this, we have no secrets from God. God sees all, God knows all. We can't tell him anything. (laughs) He knows what you're going to say before it comes out of your mouth. He knows every thought that goes through your head. It's true of every being in the whole universe all the time. There should be some comfort that we get in that, but at the same time, it should scare the bejeebies out of us. Because he's the one we have no secrets from. Satan had no secrets from him. We have no secrets from him. One of the unusual things about this particular verse is where it talks about, you, you incited me. It's in past tense in the Hebrew. It almost gives you the, I don't want to make too much of this, but it almost gives you the idea that this is not exactly the first time something like this has happened. That there have been other events in the life of Job somewhat to this. That this, in a sense, could be a series of these kinds of accusations over a lengthy period of time that Satan has brought about Job before God. Have you considered my servant Job? Now we talked last week about this. Some people have the idea that Job was a perfect, absolutely sinless person. And remember, we have to let scripture interpret scripture and Job, just like everyone else, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It's true for everyone. So Job was not a sinless person, but he was a stellar person. He was upstanding person. But can you imagine being Job and God bringing your name up as someone he believes stands out above everybody else? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. Again, we have to let scripture interpret his but that does not mean that he never ever sinned, that he always did the right thing, that he always said the right thing. But the fact of the matter is this, is righteousness was the, 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 was the definition of Job's life. He lived a very godly life in comparison to just about everybody else, and God even says that. In verse 9, Job basically implies this. Is the only reason that Job is good is because he has no, has no reason to fear God. God has taken away every reason that we'd have to fear him. And that's the reason why he lives this stellar life, according to Satan. Have you not put a a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions? Have increased in the land? But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to the face. Do you understand the premise that Satan is putting forward here? He's basically saying this, that no one will ever fear God unless God makes them hurt or suffer first. Well, it's easy to kind of put holes in that theory just from the text itself. And one of the things we've already studied is this, is that one of the things that we found Job doing early on is that he was making regular sacrificial offerings on the part on the behalf of his children. Which tells you right there, he understood that God was to be feared. That's the whole purpose of animal sacrifice was to appease the anger of God. Now it's true even of the false uh, false religions, all the idolatry that was going on in those days, where people offered these sacrifices. You understand the purpose of animal sacrifice is to appease an angry God. That's the whole function of it: to take away their anger, to take away their wrath. So what I'm telling you is, what is the truth is the exact opposite of what Satan is charging here. is even he go even though Job has perhaps not suffered. terribly much in his life and we know that he suffered some, right? Everybody suffers. But what I'm telling is this false premise that the reason that Job did a lot of the things that he did was because he already had a healthy fear of God. He feared what might happen to his children as a consequence of their sin. He knew that they would be accountable to him for what they had done in life. So, Satan's theory is false. You don't have to suffer before you have a fear of God. Fear of God in every case, fear of God has something to do with your coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's always part of the picture. Fear of God is one of the principal reasons that people come to accept Jesus as their savior. Because they know they've done wrong. And they know they're going to give an account to God for it. There actually are people on occasion, I think, that are scared into heaven. Not the normal thing. I Maybe I may to some degree it has something to do with every one of our conversions. If you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if he's your Savior, then part of that is based upon the idea that you have some fear of God, you know you've done wrong, and you know you can give account to him for it. And you're afraid of what that means. There was a young lady that came to church years ago that wanted to become a member of the church and the elders interviewed her and, you know, we asked her the question, why do you believe? And what she said was this, it's because I don't want to go to the other place. I don't want to go to hell. (laughs) Not the normal response that we get, but, Fear is not always a good motivator, but sometimes it's the only thing that works. I mean, I don't encourage people to try to motivate other people by making them fearful and whatever, but you know, as boneheaded as, as some people are, fear is the only thing that actually will motivate them. You could almost say that there's some people that have actually been scared into the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you're one of them. Have you ever had that sense of being undone? In other words, you really see your sin before a holy God and you cry out, Woe is. Me. Hallelujah for Jesus. Because let me tell you this. That if you truly know Jesus, if you truly trust in Jesus, you have no reason to fear God at all. None. Doesn't mean that he's not worthy of being feared. He is really, really worthy of being feared. peace we have peace with God through Jesus Christ we live in a day where you know hellfire and brimstone preaching is like some of us grew up with it some of us got sick and tired of it. Every time he went to church, it was all about hell, fire, and brimstone. It's all we ever heard. Got crammed down our throat every Sunday. One of the most amazing things is this is sometimes it's like it's the only thing that works. You ever hear of the Great Awakening? It was built upon hair. Hellfire and brimstone preaching. Like I said before, fear is not always the best motivator, but sometimes it's the only thing that works. There are times when people are scared out of hell into heaven. Verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. See, there's, there's Satan's whole premise The only reason he is this upstanding, righteous person is this is because you've you've protected him. You haven't let me have my way with him. But if you let me have my way with him, I promise you that he is going to curse you to your face. And that's what the rest of this whole book is about for the most part. It's God allowing that to happen one of the most encouraging things for you and I about it is this is on the other end of it. Does Job curse God? Does Job turn away from God? Does Job give up on God? So what the whole book proves is this is the premise of the evil one is wrong. Remember he's the father of lies and this is one of his lies. And some people believe it, even though he, and he continues to use it sometimes. Well, there are all kinds of mysterious things in the Bible. One is this why the, we wonder why in the world God even allowed Satan to be. Why? And I don't know God's mind, and you don't know God's mind any more than what he's revealed to us in the word. And the word doesn't really teach us this, but, but, this, but we don't, we, the conclusion we have to come to is this. It was necessary for God to bring everything to pass that he determined would come to pass. remember this Satan is a created being just like you are just like the angels the other angels the not fallen angels he exists because he serves God's purpose period and we look at that we say well what purpose could God possibly have And that's well I can't tell you that <laughs> So let's be honest with one another. It's easy to trust God when things are really good. It's quite another to trust God when things aren't good. God requires both. I think we live in a day where, you know, people talk about the persecution of the church and i think most people don't realize that there's more persecution going on in the church in the world today than there ever has been in all of history at one time. Very often we, the church in the good old US of A, where things are really good, we don't really to think too much about that. We're not, we're not concerned about being rested as we leave here this morning, maybe because of the COVID thing, but not because we came here to worship God. This is one of the things that we really should be very, very concerned about, and that is this, is that there are people out there that want to take away all your freedoms, all these freedoms that you've been granted in this great U.S. of A. They want to shut you up. They don't want to hear about your God. They want to hear about what's good and what's wrong and this, that, and the other. And they don't want you meeting on Sunday morning. They would take away your right to religion in a heartbeat if they were given the opportunity to do that. It is their intention to do that. It is their desire to do that. We live in a time when Christians in places like the United States have forgotten that suffering is a part of being a Christian. Think about all the health and wealth preaching. But remember this. That we have a God who has suffered for us in ways that are unimaginable to us. In other words, he hasn't asked us to do something he's not willing to do himself. As a matter of fact, he's asking us to suffer a little when he suffers an unbelievable, unimaginable amount. Jesus is called the suffering servant. Suffering is part of being a Christian. We need to understand we can't let this world tell us that the reason you're suffering is God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. If He did, He wouldn't never let you suffer. Suffering is part of your definition of being a Christian. Christians have always suffered. But just remember this. When you're suffering, remember you have a God that has suffered in ways that you cannot even begin to imagine to a magnitude that's not on your scale of understanding. And he did that suffering for you. See, if Job's argument was true, then God could have protected his church. Jesus Christ could have protected his church all along from persecution in any way, shape, or form. If you know about church history at all or you're even aware of what's going on in the church in the world today, you know that there are Christians that are suffering suffering a great deal there we have brothers and sisters in Christ that this very day maybe this moment as we were speaking will give their life for no other reason than the fact that they will not deny Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior what I'm telling you guys is this is very often being a Christian means suffering more not less than other people, it's hard for you and I to relate to it because we live in a very different place in a very different culture than so many other people in the world do. And let me tell you, are you fond? Are you fond of suffering? Do you like to suffer? Do you wake up every morning saying, "Boy, I hope this is one of them days when I suffer a whole bunch. Bring it on!" If you did that, we would think you were crazy, right? But we cannot let our understanding of suffering define for us our understanding of God. And the thing that helps us do that is to understand that God is not asking us to do anything less than what he has already done. In fact, he's done it a whole lot more, way more. And let me tell you, the little bit of suffering that we endure in this life, and it may sometimes just seem to be this burden that's got us just weighted down and we can't get over it and get through it and this, that, and the other is nothing compared to the reward. You find it, you get the word, you can be saying, gosh, man, I should have suffered a whole bunch more. I mean, the promise of the new heaven and the earth is so great and so grand, I can't, dis- I can't even begin to describe it to you. I can't. It's beyond human understanding. It's beyond human ability to describe things. It's going to be so great and so grand and so glorious. You're going to wonder why you fought God as much as you did in life. Another thing that Satan brings to bear, basically, is the idea that that Job is self is motivated by self love, not because he loves God. In other words, he does he does his sacrifices, he does he lives this righteous life, and whatever he does, it for his own benefit, not because he loves God, and he, that's the what it looks like. That's how he expresses it. Notice that Satan has to ask God's permission to do anything to Job. Have you noticed that? That God has to give him the okay. The thing that surprises us is that God does. But he does. We don't like it, we certainly don't love it. There's a sense in which suffering is good for us. It's good for us as long as it accomplishes in us what God's intention for it is. that we would grow in our understanding of him. That we would grow in our understanding of our utter and absolute reliance upon him for everything. All things. And I'll tell you something, another reason that suffering is good for us is we constantly, continually unrelentingly need to be driven to the cross of Jesus Christ. And sometimes suffering is the only thing that will do that. Now, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. See that cross. See Jesus on it, the crown of thorns on his head, suffering. And remember this. On that cross, he suffered for you. You specifically. That even though you might suffer in life, there will come an end to it. And you will be with him in paradise with lots of brothers and sisters in Christ forever. No end. Is that worth suffering a little bit in life? Amen.